the devastating flood of June 1972 had an unforgettable impact on Rapid City, South Dakota, and the surrounding area, both physically and emotionally. Now, as we approach the 50th anniversary of the event, we'd like to take the opportunity to look back and reflect. In this series of podcasts, we will examine archival materials, revisit witness accounts, and hear firsthand from some of the survivors themselves. This is The Flood of 72, 50 years later. Marlis Miner left town on a weekend trip to Denver on the stormy night of June 9, 1972. Large portions of Rapid City lost power and went dark just as she and her companions were leaving town, an ominous indicator of what was to come. My name is Marlis Miner. My Lakota name is Wichape Lutawi, which means Red Star Woman. So I was 20 when the flood happened in Rapid City. It was a Friday and I went to work. It rained most of the day. My brother Willard and his girlfriend Lana and I had planned a trip to Denver and were going to leave after work. So we got ready and headed down Campbell Street. At one point, we tried to turn down a side street Well, we had to turn around because the water was so deep, it was up by the tires. So then we just headed out down Campbell Street. And as we went over the hill, the lights in the city went out. And my brother joked and he said, say goodbye to that town. So we traveled all night long to get to Denver. And we heard on the radio something about a flood. And we're hearing bits and pieces here and there. When we stopped at different places like stores and and gas stations, people would notice our license plates and they would tell us that they heard about a flood in Rapid City. So then we started worrying about people in Rapid City and we tried to call home. We called all day long. There were no cell phones, no answering machines, no call waiting, but the lines to get into Rapid City were flooded and were busy. You you couldn't get through. I finally later that night got a hold of my sister in Florida and she had somehow talked to my mom and she said that they were in the flood and that she nearly lost her life but she was home and safe now. We listened to the TV and radio throughout the whole weekend because it had made national news. We were worried about our families at home and relatives. My daughter, Deanna, was only three months old. So we spent a worried day down in Denver on Saturday. We left Denver for Rapid City Sunday morning, not knowing what we were going home to. I remember seeing several trucks as we neared Rapid City and they had coffins in the back of them and they were leaving the town. It was pretty scary. We didn't know what we were going home to. When we got to Rapid, there was a lot of destruction. There were trees, cars, debris, lumber, houses, all over, but mostly around the Rapid Creek area. We went straight home to see everyone, and there my mom then told her story. My mother's name is Eloise Minor. At the time of the flood, she lived on Anamosa Street. Friday night, she and a friend were going down Mount Rushmore Road, and as they were trying to cross Omaha Street, they were hit by the wall of water, 
and the floodwaters picked up their car and took it down Omaha Street. They ended up getting lodged at La Crosse and Omaha Street. There was a steel car dock that was there. It's the Subaru car dealer now. It lodged and that car dock stopped their car. So they were, they were stranded there in the car all night long. She said they were scared. The floodwaters were raging all around them. They did not know how they were going to get out of there, if at all. She described the floodwaters. She said objects would hit the car. They saw all kinds of things floating by, debris, houses, cars, trees, people. Things were exploding around them. They spent a terrifying night lodged up against that steel car dock. My mother rarely got emotional, but when she told her story, I saw a side of her I had never seen before. As she described that night, I could feel her fear and terror. I also knew that there was more to the story that she couldn't talk about. It started getting light. This was after many hours, and they heard a loud vehicle. It was a tall, heavy equipment vehicle, the kind with the scoop in the front of it. Thank goodness the lights on the car still worked because they flashed the lights and the driver saw them and came over and rescued them. They had to crawl out the car window and they crawled into the scoop of the vehicle. He drove them to safety and to home. I am forever grateful to the man who saved my mom and her friend. My mother rarely talks about the flood and her near fatal experience, but I know it changed her life forever. And as also it did for many people who were in the flood. I would like to take this time to remember all the victims and the survivors of the Rapid City flood, especially the Native Americans and their families. There are so many people to thank who helped rescue people during the flood and the days following the flood. It was a miracle that the National Guard was in town. They were on the front lines rescuing people. My cousin, Tony Brave, was in the Guard. He would check in with us on a daily basis about what he had seen that day. But on the night of the flood, he went out in a boat to rescue people. My mother passed on eight years after the flood. I still miss her, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to tell my mother's story. Pilamia. Marlis Minor, now 70, is a longtime resident of Rapid City. Marlis, now retired, worked in the education field for over 35 years. She also worked at Behavioral Health for 21 years. Marlis enjoys traveling, volunteering, gardening, sewing, and spending time with her two grandsons. Carrie Painter had just opened a small gift shop in Keystone in 1972 and had started his day in scenic Custer State Park. He returned to Rapid City that night, having no idea how close he and his wife would come to losing their lives. My name is Terry Painter, born and raised in Rapid City. I'm 84 now, in my 30s somewhere, early 30s, I guess. My wife at the time, Carol Eby, and I were uh, roaming around Custer State Park that day looking for buffalo turds 
which we planned to package and sell in our little shop in Keystone, which we had at the time. The chips? Yes, the chips. My folks lived here, and we stopped in at my folks' house later in the day and uh, picked up my brother and uh, a friend of his, and we were going to, at that point, go up to see Single Jim Fredrickson's performance up at the, the Wheel Inn, which was up on Highway 85. Yeah, it was pouring rain, but we didn't care. We were going to go anyway. We were uh, on the way, and, we, and you know, we're kind of an adventurous group, and uh, we did we knew the creek was coming up, and we decided to stop at a bridge and watch the creek water. And uh, and I believe it was the the uh, 32nd Street Bridge, just north of Jackson Boulevard, that we probably stopped at. I'm sure it must have been that bridge. And uh, and we stood on the bridge for a while until the paddle boats started hitting the bridge from the lake. And then we said, well, we better get out of here. And also, I remember pretty distinctly that there was a cop on the bridge getting people off of there at the time. So anyway, we get back on Jackson and uh, head up Jackson, which would be west on Jackson. Around 7th Avenue is where we got hit by a wedge of water and the car started floating. And uh, as soon as it started floating, I said, we, we got to bail out. <laughs> and so we all jumped out into the water and uh, I grabbed my German Shepherd dog who was with us, Shunka, and uh, I carried him because the water was above my knees, probably between about halfway between my waist and my knees at the time. It was roaring fast and it's hard to stand up. And so I naturally grabbed my dog because he couldn't make it. We got up to the north side of Jackson Boulevard there and there was a, a family piling into their pickup, getting ready to evacuate their, their premises. They said, jump into our pickups. We jumped in, all of us, into the back of that pickup. They took us up to Canyon Lake Drive, and they were heading west, I believe, on Canyon Lake Drive, and so we were without a car, so we wanted to go back downtown to it. Well, actually, we were gonna go to my folks' house where we actually ended up. My folks lived clear up in North Rapid in East Madison Street. So uh, they were far above the deluge and all that. Anyway, here we are, soaking wet, with a soaking wet, full-grown German Shepherd dog standing there, and it's dark, with our thumbs out in the pouring rain. And the first car that came by picked us up, a great big car, like a very big car, like a Lincoln or something, put us all soaking wet people in that car. He took us clear across town to my folks' house up on East Madison Street and the lights were all off at that time, electricity was out. So we just camped at my folks' house for the evening and mom got out the candles and we sat around and played cards, completely oblivious to what was going on. And then the next morning I walked down to Maple Avenue, but block, and looked down over the city, looked up towards East Boulevard and saw the total devastation. And I walked back to the house. Long story short, we somehow got back across town again to where we had bailed out of the car that day and found my car upside down in a tree about a half a block from where we had jumped out of it. We were seconds from death for sure. And we had oblivious to the whole thing going clear through town with bridges going out behind us and seconds behind us and devastation going on seconds behind us. And we thought, and you know, at that time we discovered, you know, we were all just miraculously alive from this thing. And I still remember when I was 
in the process of, you know, grabbing a few things out of the car and my dog. There was a, I believe it was a station wagon full of kids floated by us. And I still remember those faces out the window, staring out of the window. And I'm sure they were all killed, you know, because we were just seconds away. That That's that's what happened. The devastation was down in Jackson, not on Canyon Lake Drive. I don't remember how we got out to Canyon from North Rapid back out to, uh, you know, out to Jackson. I don't know if we walked clear out there or if we got a ride somehow. I can't remember, but we got out there. We were able to travel across town somehow and get over there. Keystone got hit pretty hard too. Did you lose your shop? Yeah, we did lose a shop in Keystone. It didn't wipe it out completely, but it's destroyed there, all the stuff we had inside of it. And I sold it to uh, somebody else in Keystone. We towed it over at his place. I mean, he did it. He had a tractor later. At the time, we were living in a little tent above the shop. <laughs> uh, just temporarily, you know, because we were going back and forth from my folks' house in, in courts. My ex-wife's folks also lived in Rapid. But, uh, and I had just finished teaching in, in uh, Custer for a year and I quit, didn't know what we we're gonna do next. So anyway, we were just temporarily gonna run this little shop for the summer up there in, in Keystone, but then we got wiped out. In the years since the flood of 72, Terry Painter has lived numerous places. He returned to Rapid City in 1991 to care for his aging parents. For the last 30 years, Terry has lived in Red Rock Canyon with his wife, Nazrina. You may have heard Terry Painter singing and playing guitar and mandolin as half the folk duo, the Elderly Brothers. He and Lair Zanor have performed at many local venues over the years. Following the events of June 9th and 10th, Karen Bullman volunteered with the Red Cross, driving Red Cross officials through town to survey the damage. 50 years later, Karen still becomes emotional when considering the heavy toll the flood took on Rapid City's citizens. My name is Karen Bullman. At the time of the flood in previous years before that, I had worked for the Red Cross and that's kind of part of the story that I'm telling. The Friday evening started out like most race nights at the Black Hill Speedway with cloudy weather in the hopes that it would not rain and cancel the stock car races. My husband and I were at the races as we did most Friday nights at that time in our life. My husband Larry was part of the pit crew for a friend who owned one of the race cars. The racetrack was shaped like a bowl with the pits in the middle outlined by the track and then followed up by the grandstands on the top of the bowl. It appeared to be a normal evening until about 8 p.m. when the rain started to fall. Soon it turned into a cloudburst with rain coming down in sheets. The track started to fill with water and the races were called off. Since the evening was still young, we all headed for the local hangout, Jim's Place, which was located on a hill above East North Street. The rain reminded me of a picture I saw as a child, with Noah's Ark floating on water and rain pouring down. At 10 o'clock, a friend came in and asked if anyone had a boat. The trailer park at the bottom of the hill was floating away and he needed the boat to rescue people. Larry and I headed to my parents' house, located on a hill in North Rapid, where we planned to pick up our baby daughter and head to our home on the south side of the city. Larry went to check the road at the bottom of the hill. He returned to say that the water was deep over the road, so we decided to stay at my parents' house until the next day. When the rain clouds stalled and it appeared that this could be a disaster, the police and firefighters were out in force trying to warn people living in the potential flood area to get out of their homes. KOTA radio broadcasts told people to seek higher ground and not to travel in their cars if the roads were flooded. 
Many people were asleep and did not hear the warning or were not aware of the disaster until water was coming into their homes. Many people spent the night on their roofs or in the trees. The news on the radio all day and night covered the flood and the destruction caused by the Canyon Lake Dam break and the 10-foot wall of water, full of broken houses, cars, and debris coming through town with such force. For days, there were requests for information about missing people. Roads were impassable. Houses were left on bridges. Cars were stacked like an accordion. Mud, trash, trees, cars, houses, and sewage were everywhere in the flood path. Water, gas, and electric utilities were damaged. I had worked at the Red Cross office in Germany when we were stationed there, so I volunteered to help. The first question asked of me was whether I had a car. I said yes, and they sent me out to pick up two men at the regional airport from the National Red Cross headquarters. After picking them up, I drove them around the devastated sections of town as best I could, weaving in and out of debris of all sorts, including trees, parts of houses, household belongings, and anything that was a part of people's lives. Many roads were totally blocked and the bridges were gone. The men videotaped the area from Dark Canyon to the east side of Rapid City. We stopped to visit anyone in the devastation area who were picking up pieces of their lives. I remember specifically a home located in now the back nine of Meadowbrook Golf Course. The home had received some damage but was still on its foundation. The woman of the house was outside just picking up items belonging to her. Numerous trees all in a row were located behind her house. The street in front of the house was littered, but there were no houses in front or behind or on either side of that house. We approached her and asked if we could visit with her and videotape her about the horror she endured. She agreed. As she talked about her frightening evening, with the roar of water around her and the frantic climb to the attic and then finally to the roof of her house, it was heartbreaking. She described the darkness around her, the lightning strikes where she could see the horror and devastation, the fires flaring up as power lines, gas lines, and water collided, the sounds of her neighbors on the roofs of their homes, and finally the sight of the homes being carried away by the rushing water. She knew not only that the homes were gone, but the lives of her neighbors could be also. It was at that point that I returned to the car and left the final visit with her to the men from the Red Cross. It was just too painful to hear her words. She was in shock and was able to talk, but I knew that that night would forever change her life. We then headed back to the airport and took a small plane into the Black Hills to take aerial photographs of the damage. We went where the heavy rain waters started and followed the river down to Dark Canyon where damaged homes and trees were carried into Canyon Lake. Once there, the dam broke. It could not hold that massive amount of water and debris. There were heroic efforts by the policemen and firemen throughout the night. The flood affected all residents of Rapid City. It took several years for the buildings that needed to be demolished to be torn down. Those buildings, with their black markings for demolition, stood as a sad memory of the loss. Federal dollars helped to clear out the floodway and gave Rapid City the support to complete the wonderful greenway that we have today. Several years later, the Federal Emergency Management Office, FEMA, produced an educational film about the remediation effort of Rapid City and its flood. I happened to be in Maryland at a FEMA conference regarding mitigation, and that film was shown to the conference attendees. I agreed to talk about the flood in Rapid City and was able to give statistics and the remediation efforts. However, it was still too hard to talk about any of the Red Cross visits or the stories that were told. Years later, I was an alderman at City Council, and I know one that was really citywide people came up, up in arms about, and the Nash Finch people wanted to build a big complex of some kind uh, right off of Omaha Street, 
and in an area where there was some had been some trailer houses. It was kind of on the corner before you turn into the Bacon Park area. And they wanted to do that, and they were going to trade some land, and had a deal worked out. And they were serious about that, and they had a big discussion about it for several months. And the council turned them down. The city citizens turned them down. Said, "No, you're not going to build there." And I know uh, Police Chief Hennies, Tom Hennies, he was in the worked the flood as a policeman at the time. And he was a staunch advocate for never ever putting anybody back in that flood area. I was out golfing once at Meadowbrook. This is probably 10 years ago. And we were out, I can't remember which hole we were on, and you could see where the foundation of a house was still there. You could see the ground. That just brings back all those memories, you know, really strange. My husband went out and he volunteered to search for people. And the next day, you know, I did this and he, he did that. And he found uh, one of the priests that was in, uh, up by Mother Butler Center at the time. And that was hard for him to do that, you know, but he did that for several days. So we tried to do that. And then I remember we stayed at my folks' house for a couple of days. And just the idea of him bringing water, that to me was like you're bringing cans of water, or gallons of water, because they have no water. And you, you don't think about the things that, it, so it's what I mean, everybody got affected, I think, just about in the city when that happened. It's just heartbreaking, you know? And I can't imagine how people can go through that flood and be in it and come out and be okay talking about it even. I, I don't know how they can do that. So people stepped up a lot. There was a real cohesiveness about the city. And it was a little smaller than it is now, obviously, too. So the Greenway made a lot of difference because it put beauty back into the city. But I was born and raised here, so, you know, my grandfather homesteaded out here. So I just liked the city and I, my home. And it's hard to see some changes take place, but. You know, the people are still the same, so it's a good place to live. Karen Bullman went on to be a partner and office manager in an engineering specialties firm in Rapid City, and then was the general manager of Patrons Cooperative Association. Karen obtained her master's in business administration from the University of South Dakota. She was involved with the Downtown Association and Downtown Development Corporation. Karen was elected as a Rapid City Alderwoman for 10 years and then began work with the City of Rapid City as a city planner. During these years, she served on many community boards. Now retired, Karen serves on the Rapid City Planning Commission and, with her husband Larry, happily spends time with her son Jonas, daughter Jennifer, and their four grandchildren. Despite the common themes and some shared experiences among the survivors, each story stands on its own because each offers a perspective as unique as the individual sharing it. We thank this episode's guests for sharing their memories and observations regarding the events of the night of June 9, 1972, and its lingering aftermath. If you have a personal account of your experience during the flood of 72 that you would like to share, we'd like to hear your story. Contact the Rapid City Public Library at 605 394 6139 or email ask at rcplib.org.